All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, they were consumed, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and forth and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we will bless, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Thanks, Jane. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 17. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He turned the tables of the money changers over and the branches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, 
My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Great, thanks. Oh, we've got a bit of volume there. It's good. Well, here we are at the start of Easter week. Start off with a question. Um, if you can guess who wrote these words. All right, that would be behind me. Guess who wrote these words. You got any, Graham? Next slide. That's it, mate. That's, yeah, beautiful. I know of no other king who is so loved by his people and who loves his people so much and cares for them. This king of kings is always at work among his people of all walks of life, teaching, counselling, consoling. His charitable works are outstanding. His lifestyle modest. Can you guess who wrote those words? Harry or Megan, maybe? Nah, probably not. <laughs> okay. Oh, what about Sharon and Colin? You know? You can imagine maybe Sharon, you know, writing something. Nah, no. Nah. Well, actually written from someone uh, living in Thailand. He's not Thai. He lived there as a resident. He was writing about the king of Thailand on his 85th birthday a couple of years back. And can I say the large numbers of Thai people who turned out for his birthday, they lined the streets to praise their king. It suggested that the king's subjects, they really, really did love him. But what do you think? Can you imagine... The good people of Trinity Woodcroft getting out to line the streets of South Road to praise our new king as the king of kings, hey? Why don't we just, I'm just going to practice, hang on. I've got a palm branch here, here we go. Now we need a guinea pig. Colin, you'll do, come up, come on. All right, I want you to yell out in your loudest voice, all hail Colin, all hail, I can't hear you, all, come on, I can't, mean it, mean it, come on. Yeah, it's not washing with me either. Yeah, okay. Um, by the way, mate, you don't have a palm tree in your... Oh, the neighbour didn't mind. Oh, the neighbour. Well, oh, right. Okay, that's the story for another time, I reckon. So uh, we'll better put it out of the way so it doesn't get tripped over. But Now, I did that because, just to remind us what we already know, we have just got this fascinating relationship to authority in this country, don't we? Like this egalitarian country of ours, you know, often cheering the loudest when a tall poppy does a Humpty Dumpty, comes tumbling down. I mean, we do ticker tape parades for victorious Olympians or sporting teams, but a royal? I mean, that's weird. Um, But just, if you can, we just heard a reading. Try to imagine yourself in that Jesus crowd that day. You know, going in front, coming behind, praising Jesus, laying your most expensive jacket on the road for the donkey 
and its foal to walk over and maybe do other things on. <laughs> Can I say, I was a bit disappointed today, Colin and Ben. I was expecting maybe a skit with you riding in on the calf, one of his calves or something. You know, the cow coming in and... No, not going to happen. Rightio, all right. Um, but, see, here we are in a Jesus crowd of sorts this morning, aren't we? But why? To what end? We, we, we get together every Sunday. To what end? See, what revolution might this Jesus be inviting from you and me today? Are there things maybe uh, already in your church, uh, in your homes, or maybe in your heart, that this Jesus might like to shake up, seriously shake up, as happened when he entered Jerusalem the temple to begin his Passion Week of suffering and sacrifice for us all. Well, let's get into it. Just a bit of background first. Um, so this map will show uh, a picture of what Jerusalem possibly looked like um, in Jesus' day. So we're told that you've got the road up from Jericho. It comes around the back side of the Mount of Olives, which of course is where Jesus would be betrayed. The road comes to the town of Bethany. Bethany is today called, I'm going to try and say this right, Azariye, Azariye, which means the town of Lazarus, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now from here, across the Kidron Valley, you see Jerusalem and the unbelievably enormous temple complex, okay, before it was uh, destroyed in AD 70. That this would have it just dominated the landscape in AD 33. So Jesus is entering Jerusalem a week out from the Passover festival, which is sort of the mother of all festivals in the Jewish calendar, right? It's people, families, their kids, they travel in from regional, rural, remote communities to spend the whole week remembering when God saved them from Egypt. It's like, you know, what happens at Victor Harbour or, you know, Westfield Marion, you know, that week out from Christmas, the numbers swell by five or ten, it's just packed, people are madly rushing around trying to make preparations um, for the biggest festival of our year, Christmas. But here we are, suddenly, our busy agendas are interrupted by a crowd of people coming in through the gates of Jerusalem, they're shouting words from Psalm 118, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the Son of David, I mean, they just on and on and on. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And all for a guy, who, who knows when he last showered, from Galilee, come from this, this back, back block town called Yankalil, uh, no, uh, Nazareth, um, riding into town on the foal of a donkey, and alongside is the mother of the donkey walking alongside. Right? I mean, it's, it's just weird. It was weird then. It's, it's just it's so, it's so weird today. But the question everyone in Jerusalem is left whispering about, is it still remains the most quintessential question we can ever wrestle with um, as a human being, that any human can wrestle with. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? We've got four clues given by Matthew in the first part of this passage to explore. The first is a question, why are the crowds calling Jesus son of David? Now, you can check this out later, but have you ever noticed that the New Testament begins, Matthew's Gospel opens with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Or that just before Jesus rides into Jerusalem at the end of chapter 20, two blind men cry out twice to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And we just heard large crowds shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, quoting or attributing words from Psalm 118 to Jesus. Well, a little bit of backstory will help us understand why this son of David language. So you're only 11 chapters in to biblical history and humanity are doing their best to try and find life and meaning without God, giving God the flick. Now, rather than give up on humanity, God does something absolutely astounding in the next chapter. Genesis 12, he makes some amazing unconditional promises to an idol-worshipping pagan called Abram. He literally covenants himself to him and saying that there's a future. Not only, Abram, will you become a great nation, Israel, but through your offspring, God, I will bless people from all nations. How? Well, a bit later on, God reveals kings will come from Abram, and so it's going to be through a king. There's a failed attempt at kingship in 1 Samuel with Saul. And then God tells his prophet Samuel to anoint a shepherd boy called David who he describes as the king after his own heart, the king after his own heart in 1 Samuel 16. God then makes this astonishing promise to King David in 2 Samuel 7. And there should be some, um, the words come up. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And so what you've got from this time on for the next thousand years or so, right up until Jesus, Israel, God's Old Testament people, have been on the lookout for this God's son of David forever king. who's going to come and save them. The one who would usher in God's blessing, not just for them as a nation, but actually be a light to nations everywhere. As we read through the rest of the Old Testament, God just keeps dropping all sorts of clues about who to expect, what to expect when his forever king turns up. He's going to be born via a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. He's going to be born in in the town of David, which is Bethlehem. That's Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And what sort of a saviour leader will God's forever king be? Isaiah 9. Well, he's going to be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And what sort of prince of peace will this son of David forever king be? Well, you go on in Isaiah, he will be a servant of the Lord. A suffering servant of the Lord. The one on whom God himself will put his spirit. He will bring justice to the nations, Isaiah 42.1. He'll be a light to the nations. He'll open the eyes of the blind, release the captives. God's salvation might reach to the ends of the earth through this servant of the Lord. That's Isaiah 42.6, You see why the crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David? Because they think Jesus is the guy. They think he could be the one. And it also explains why Jesus arranged to ride into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey and not a war horse. I mean, most kings ride horses, don't they? But to come in not just on a donkey, but on the colt, a foal of a donkey? It's because Jesus has come to bring peace. 
Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah, a prophecy that God spoke 500 years before Jesus about, again, what to expect when his forever king turned up. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a beast of burden in the original language. The foal of a beast of burden. Now that Jesus enters Jerusalem on a colt, it's symbolic. The animal that God's king rode to enter a defeated city, it was a sign of what was to happen to that city. You see, if the king, if God's king entered a city um, that had just conquered riding a war horse, that meant God's king was coming in judgment. And So when Jesus returns at the end of history... We're told very clearly in Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. He is called the word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Of course, in contrast, here is Jesus, his first coming. God's forever king is entering Jerusalem on a foal of a donkey. It means Jesus is not coming to judge, but having salvation. He comes to bring peace, not to make war, to rescue and reconcile a humanity that is severely at enmity with God. And how will God's king make peace? Well, again, it's why Jesus chose a foal of a donkey. Mark tells us that had never been worked. One of the qualifications in the Old Testament for an animal to be offered up as a atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people was they were to have never been worked. Did you notice again how the donkey is described? Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Here's the twist, isn't it? The beast of burden, bearing the sin of humanity to his death, is not the foal of the donkey, but the one entering Jerusalem on the foal of the donkey, Jesus. And of course, it's why we read in Isaiah 53 about God's suffering servant forever king, that surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement of God himself that brought us peace. And so God promises later on in Zechariah 9 that on that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. Friends, this is why the people are shouting Hosanna about Jesus. Because this is what Psalm 118 is all about. Again, what did we read in Matthew 21? The crowds that went ahead of him, chose that followed him, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna was a cry of an oppressed people to be saved. 
It literally means, oh save, or save us now. Which happens to be the same meaning of Jesus, isn't it? God saves. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. That's the cry of Psalm 118. This is the gate of the Lord, and the righteous will enter through it. Of course, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, he alone is the righteous one. He alone is the one qualified to open heaven's gates and to enter. And as John goes on and picks up this imagery in chapter 10, Jesus, he's the gate. Jesus is the righteous gate for us. He's the door that anyone can now enter if they bind themselves to him, put their faith in him, join themselves up to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. One of the things I love about Psalm 118, it begins and ends with that same phrase. Do you remember? Colin started the service. God's... (laughs) No, he's lost it already. It's the mystery of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. It's one word in the Hebrew, chesed. And it's the word God revealed to Moses about his character on the mountain way back in Exodus. See, the mystery of God's chesed love, the content of God's compassion and love, is that Jesus is the stone who will be rejected by this, the same people who are praising him, who will be abandoned by his own disciples, forsaken by his God as he is pierced, in our place, alone, the righteous one, for the forgiveness of our sin. How can we not sing Hosanna in the highest indeed? Hosanna in the highest indeed. And that last clue is the crowd. The crowd gets a decent mention here, large crowds. Um, It's again, um, Jesus is arriving at Jerusalem with this gathered people. And the clue is that in Jesus, God's forever king, God is beginning to gather his forever people. Isaiah 35.10 They will enter Zion with singing. That's a a phrase for, for Jerusalem. With everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Entering those gates with Jesus are those whose eyes literally have been opened, isn't it? Hosanna to the son of David. There are deaf people who can now hear, lame people who are jumping around with joy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You've got once mute people now singing the praises of Jesus their king. You've got mother-in-laws healed of fever. The crooked businessman who became a disciple and wrote Matthew's gospel. He's there as well. Hosanna in the highest. Fathers, mothers, divorced people, single, married, child, adult, teen. They're all there. The people that have been touched. By the mercy of God in this forever king. Lives transformed by him. And the first question for us this morning is, are you among them? Are you one of the redeemed, one of the forever gathered people of this forever king? You may not know the brief joy of being healed from some physical ailment by Jesus. 
But do you know the abounding joy, the undentable, irrevocable joy of being healed of your sin? Your guilt washed away forever, cleansed. Becoming a child of God. The one, the one person you'll never be abandoned by, Jesus. This next photo uh, takes us back to Taylor from Roxby Downs. Uh, when I met her in October last year, 18-year-old teenager, she was pregnant with Clifton. Uh, Taylor was abandoned by her mum at birth. Her dad, who works in the mines, raised her. The father of her baby abandoned her the moment he found out she was pregnant. One Sunday morning, though, October last year, she's just randomly walking on the road um, past this Roxby church. And she, she walks way past it, but she doesn't, she doesn't know why. But something made her turn around and walk through the door. And she did. Gemma, who I talked about earlier... She was there, she was one of the, the people who welcomed her, sat with her, that week took her along to the new mums group in town, invited her home for a meal, invited her to join their Bible study group, started meeting up with Taylor and last year she became a Christian. She asked Jesus to be her Lord and Saviour. Taylor now knows she is loved by God, a God who will never abandon her or her newborn son, Clifton. She's been meeting up with Glenn and Beth and Gemma and, and that doing baptism classes. They've been working through Christianity Explored together. Taylor's been bringing her not-yet-Christian friend Pepper along. She's also started asking lots of questions as well. Actually, her housemate as well. She's so thankful that Glenn and Gemma um, decided, you know, that, um, be her godparents. Uh, they were baptised last Sunday. Uh, Clifton's, uh, I should say, Taylor's... Um, other friends from town were there. But friends, there, there are so many more families like, like Taylor's and Gemma and Loki's in places like Roxby. I mean, how good is it that the McDonald's are willing to count the cost and stay, send their kids to the big smoke to be educated? I mean, how can people like Taylor and Gemma and Loki and these, how can they believe if there's no one to preach? And how can they preach if they're not sent and supported. This is what makes our partnership, to send and support more people, to plant churches in Adelaide, to, to support people overseas, to support people in, in the country, like the McDonald's and the Hurleys, to spread this good news. It's just so precious. So, so precious. Now, again, perhaps like Taylor, this is all a bit new and fresh for you. I please, if you've got questions from today, follow up with Colin before you leave or the person who brought you along. But at the very least, make sure you come back next Easter. But you, I'm sure we all know people, God's put people in our lives that we know. That you think, you know, yeah, I, I got, I'm going to throw the invite out. You know, this, this is just too good a news to, to invite, to bring them along. To choose not to go away even maybe to, so you can bring these people to church. Matthew 21. It begins the week of Jesus' passion. Uh, that word passion is from the Latin passio, which means to suffer. It begins the week of Jesus' suffering. This one week, though, takes up over a third of the Gospels, the four Gospels, which helps us to appreciate that the Gospels are so much more than bibliography. They're eyewitness testimony that God has given us to take us to Good Friday. The goodness of that Good Friday, that is God's Hosanna for humanity. 
The Gospels contain all that you or I need, all that any person needs to confidently know Jesus and place their trust in Jesus and to know the joy of his salvation for their life. But we finish where we started. Here we are this morning, the crowd of Jesus followers that God has gathered here in this room. I mean, what sort of a welcome have you been giving this Hosanna King? See, when were you last seriously shaken your life by by Jesus, like, like the people in Jerusalem, verse 10? That word there, actually, interestingly, is the word seismos. It's the word we get earthquake from. See, when did Jesus last seriously quake your life? Your priorities? Your agendas? When was the last time we were so shaken and convicted to lay down on Calvary's road something that was really costly? I mean, you hear all sorts of stories. Oh, Lent. Oh, I gave up chocolate last Lent. (laughs) Go me. I gave up coffee. I mean, seriously? Seriously? That's what it's become? How can we not be laying our best before this King of Kings every day? How can we not give and let go and go ourselves for the sake of the lost? How can we not turn out with all that we are continually to praise this Lord of Lords, this King of Kings? He is so worthy. So, so worthy. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, back in Matthew 11, uh, you said, Come to me all who labour and burden, and I will give you rest. Father, help us to come. In a city where we are on the run, Father, you see us. You see our worldly loves, our secret loves. Those things in our lives that are stopping us from loving you and the neighbours that you've put in our lives, as we ought. And so, Father, in our heart of hearts, we cry, Hosanna. Save us. Shake us. That we might joyfully surrender whatever we need to in order to more wholeheartedly serve you. For your praise, your glory, your honour. And we pray this in your precious and powerful name, Jesus. Amen. We have a new song uh, to sing together this morning. Uh, Now, if you... uh